Hey everybody, we have a little bit of a different kind of show for you tonight. June has been designated as Women in Tabletop Gaming Month, and we're happy to be participating. So we put together a panel tonight to talk about women's issues in gaming. Uh, we hope you enjoy it, and uh, head right into the show. Guns is Europe. <laughs> oh, all right. No, I, I was waiting for the wave, so I'm going to wave to everybody else. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Legends of Tabletop. My name is Danny Neri. Um, I've been playing games since I was 12 years old. I GM a lot. You can find me running all kinds of games and playing games online, and I am happy to be here uh, joining everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Legends of Tabletop. My name is Monica. Um, like Danny, I am a gamer. Uh, I play a lot of RPGs. Um, I'm a GM, um, but I'm also a professional writer and designer. I work for the Onyx Path production. Um, I've worked on a lot of stuff. I work on Chronicles of Darkness, worked on World of Darkness, currently working on Exalted 3rd Edition, and had a big hand in designing a lot of the uh, story path stuff that's coming out. Um, I also co-host a show called Bonus Experience, in which two queer women talk about the finer details of running and writing games. Uh, it's great. We swear. It's fun. You should listen to it. Hey, I'm Naomi Clark, and uh, I have been making games since uh, 1999, I think is when I started. Uh, mostly video games, uh, but I've gotten into making some tabletop games more recently. Um, I just finished uh, a Kickstarter project called Consentacle, which is a two-player game about alien sex. Uh, and I also teach game design, including a class about uh, tabletop role-playing games at NYU. I love you ladies already. I mean, the two things you've said, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Happy to be here. Woo. Absolutely. Um, now, John, would you care to lead in with a uh, with, with anything that you would like to ask these fine ones? Oh, I'm, I'm not prepared. Like, I have the questions up, but I figured you were going to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> Improv that shit. You got it. Okay, great. Now I uh, didn't curse first. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with Monica. Hey. Uh, what do you think could be represented in gaming more? More? Uh, yeah. Um, I always want to make it gayer. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, make it gayer. Um, I'm all about like more queer representation, um, but not just. I mean, homosexual couples, but like bi characters, trans characters, poly characters, all and of let's that. Shift like, on make it gayer. Make it <laughs> It's Pride Month. Come on, people. Yes. Now, shifting over to Naomi. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so to add more diversity to representation i think you've got this handled with with your product which i am so eager and i cannot wait to uh to play it <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess i kind of am representing and sitting right now in the the university <laughs> department that's at the forefront of trying to make games gayer 
Um, I'm right, right next door to uh, Robert Yang, who's like the um, the foremost champion of make games, uh, video games, specifically gayer and gayer all the time, since he does like um, tea room simulators and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think I, I sort of tried to go way over into the deep end and get things really queer by saying, all right, let's just abandon normative genitals completely and get some tentacles into the mix, but let's do it in a way that's totally not falling into the same old tropes and uh, get consensual with tentacles instead. So that's that's my angle on queerness. It's been a long, long running theme um, among a lot of queers that I know too. It's like, let's think about genitals of the future. <laughs> oh yes, and about about tea room video games, there was one that I absolutely adored. That that it had firearms involved, and yep. it was that's about, the one. <gasps> yeah, that's my my next door neighbor. He sits like on the other side of this wall. Uh, Robert please Yang. Please tell him. Please tell. Please tell Mr. Yang that I am a fan of his work. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know the game, it's a game where you have to. Um, go into a 1950s rest stop bathroom and try to solicit gay sex. Uh, but in part because of censorship restrictions on sites like YouTube and Twitch, uh, instead of depicting male genitals in this 3D simulation, uh, all the genitals are, are flesh-colored firearm models, very realistic firearm models, which are much easier to get than genital models. You can get tons of firearm models. So big gun isn't just a phrase anymore. That's right. It's, it's like a re realistic big gun right inside of the pants with a nice fleshy texture on it. Oh, man. You know, I actually went to a, a firearms dealer and interviewed him seriously about using saliva to lubricate your firearm. And I never got around to editing that audio interview to post so that that hasn't happened yet so you look for it john into something really dirty i bet oh it, it is and yeah so john look for that i'll be sending you that sound file have something for leah's lair yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man but danny did you have anything to add to uh, representation in, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, what could be represented in gaming more from both either the tabletop side or the video gaming side? Um, I'm gonna agree, uh, more diversity is always a good thing. And But I have to say, I think we've come such a long way. Uh, I've been streaming a D&D game and my character is a lesbian and it was so natural, which is fine, but back you know, 10 years ago, had I ever pulled that at a game table, it would have, there would have been words. It would have been a total different situation. And it just happened. There was a big love scene last Sunday and it just happened. So, you know, naturally, cause it should. And everybody in chat was so supportive. And like, it was such a big difference that I think we're going in the right directions. And I'm super happy that um, I run a lot of games for Monty Cook games and I uh, do their magazine there. And they are always stressing that limit, uh, you know, pushing that limit of let's make everything acceptable. They don't even do a, a he uh, or a she, they, you know, they do they in their books. They wanna just include mm -hmm. everybody. And I love to see it going that way. Yeah, way to go with the pronouns. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, would you, would any of you, 
care to share any obstacles you may have faced regarding your gender in this environment? <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> I'll refrain from sharing anything from my own experience, so that that's fine. We'll we'll keep it brief. Oh, man, well, I'll go first. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Go for it, go for it. No, 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 go for it. All right. I would just say um, getting your voice heard at a table because in it is still a man's world in the gaming industry. And don't mean that in any, just population wise, there are a lot more men at the table as it goes. Not that it's their world, but they're a bigger much part of it. So at a table, I just remember very distinctly, and this is only two Gen Cons ago, I had an idea and everybody at the table is ignoring me. I'm like, no, like, let's do this. And a guy said it. I'm telling you like 45 seconds later and everybody's like, yeah, let's, that's perfect. And I literally said, uh, didn't you just hear me? I just said the exact fucking same thing really loud. I dropped it and everybody stood at me because nobody was listening to me. I was, I was the chick at the table. I don't know what I'm talking about. And yeah. it happens. And yes. it's not something that's, you know, years ago, this, this still happens and you have to fight or you get that. Oh, we're going to take it easy on you. You, your character didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, they did. They should die. Just like you would do to the dudes next to me. Like, so it is out there. We, we do, we get treated differently. Yeah, I've had very much a similar experience where like, I've been like, here's the thing we should do. Um, and then, you know, random man number five says the same thing a couple seconds later and they're like, oh, well, let's go with, with his idea, you know? Um, except that's happened in a professional context. Mm. <laughs> Which is way worse than a party decision. Um, and uh, you know, um, I'm, I, I'm loud when I need to be. So I was like, I did exactly the same thing. Like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> that was, that's literally what I said. Um, and, uh, that wasn't really a face to face thing. Um, a lot of, because the way, um, a lot of freelance stuff goes, there's a lot of discussion that goes down in like chat rooms through Slack and whatnot, um, uh, professionally. And so some of that happens there too and so part of what i do in those situations as well is stick up for other women who, who have experienced literally the same thing where someone's like this should this should go this way and then man says it a couple minutes later that sort of thing uh i'm always there to have the back of other women working on projects yeah because if you don't then then uh if someone's actually trying to take credit for their own idea saying like hey i said this five minutes ago then uh, if you don't actually say something, then they can get hit with these accusations like, oh, well, we, how, how are you trying to like promote your own ideas? Like, can't we all just share our ideas as if they did something horribly wrong to even point out that, uh, that they were the first person to say it. And I think it's so important that everybody at the table gets in touch with that. And um, John and I were talking about Necronomicon a little bit, and this started, we started talking about getting treated at a table differently. Um, at Necronomicon, where I was playing a Call of Cthulhu game, late at night, it's in Providence, it's the place it should be, it should be the perfect game. Um, and I was the only female at the table. The GM went after me with a rape scene that was so uncomfortable, I was like in shock, I didn't know what to do. And you know, I'm a loud mouth person, I have no problem saying things. But I was literally taken so off guard. I felt like I was shaking at one point. And when we took a break, somebody at the table said, are you okay? That was like terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I think everybody was just so dumbfounded. But nobody at that table, including myself, said anything. We were all just kind of staring. And would he have gone after, you know, there were other 
people at the pl table playing female characters didn't go after them like he went after me. And it was disgusting. Um, so I that makes me so much weird now that if I see even the slightest thing at a table as a player, as a GM, I'm all over that. You, you have to be. We all have to look out for each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Danny, uh, could you message me with who the GM was in that situation? Uh, Just I'd have later. to look it up, yes. Yeah. Thank well, you. Let me ask you this and to, to kind of follow up on what you were talking about, not being, you know, taken seriously at a gaming table. On the flip side, how does that play out for you when you run games at a, at a convention? When so, you know, group of guys walks up to the table and you're sitting there with your GM screen and your, and your dice on the table. Do you get a similar a reaction then, uh, you know, for guys who are maybe expecting, you know, a, a dude that's going to run the game? I've had none experience that I have ever had, but I will defer to you because you sound like you've got something going on. Oh, I'm sorry. It's so weird because I can't see your face. So I didn't know when you were starting to talk. So I'm so no, sorry. No, no, I'm not it's trying okay. to cut you off. No, no, um, no it's, it's the, the weirdness of recording things online. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not offended. Okay. Uh, I will say I definitely had people that I would walked at the table and just handed their tickets back. Said, I'm going to go to a different table. But the thing that bothers me the most is people staring at your boobs. I have boobs. They're not going away, but I don't stare at somebody's dick or, or somebody's, you know, other thing while they're running a game. So why do you just get to stare there, sit there and like blatantly look at my boobs the whole time? I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not going to go hide them. So that's just a weird thing because I don't, I don't see everybody staring at the other GMs like that. That's really gross. It is. Yeah, that's really gross. Why are men? <laughs> 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 I, I have to say that that's not an experience I've ever had, mostly because I haven't run too many convention games, but I know you guys can't see me, which is probably a good thing because I gesture weirdly and I crouch like a little gaming gargoyle in the seat. And you can't see this. Um, but uh, I am six feet tall, first off, and I don't have big boobs. I don't want to say I'm masculine looking, but sort of tend to present that way in a, like, a gender non-conforming sort of way. So, like, men treat me differently because of the way I pre present myself physically. Um, I'm, I can look most men in the eye or am taller than them and, like, don't have my, my boobies on display. And there is nothing wrong with having boobies that you like and are showing. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. You should be able to show it without dudes thinking, like, oh, that cleavage is for me. It's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting to think about that too. Like, well, uh, may you have, might you have any recommendations for other women that may just be entering this scene and to avoid uh, some of the horror story situations that we're sharing here? Or no? I mean, I. I think if you're just starting out, if you can at all possible, curate your own group. Like, I understand that some people don't have the luxury to be able to play with their own friends in their own living room or whatever, but if you can and you're new, you know, try to stick with a group of people you know. Even if they're just people that you're, like, friendly with at a game store or whatever. Obviously, I understand that that's not feasible for everyone. Um, I don't know that I would ever want to recommend to someone for their very first try, go jump right into a convention game with strangers, do it. <laughs> Throw yourself immediately to the wolves, go. 
So that's that's my suggestion. Have your first try, your inaugural run be friends. <laughs> yeah. That's a great idea. I'd say have a gaming buddy too, if you can. And it's such a great community, a gaming community. There's so many people that'll have your back. Um, when I go to a convention, I know I'm going to be in a game wickedly. I'll just have somebody meet me and make sure I get to my, you know, lift or something like that. Just your person, you know, being in a city, you don't know just for safety reasons. But then, um, you know, if you're just starting, it would be a great support tool. If you're going to run your first game and with strangers, have somebody you know at that table, because at least you have that, that one familiarity that you can look at and, you know, get that smile and know everything's good. Okay. Naomi, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I'd say um, more generally for people who are getting into doing uh, to GMing or tabletop design even, uh, it really is about finding those people who will have your back, just like Danny was just saying. And often that means uh, asking around and doing a little bit of networking, which, you know, even if you're new or you're feeling introverted, just having those conversations where you find out what people are about, like what they care about, what their values are. You know, there's um, there's usually people around who are not afraid to wear a little bit on their sleeve the fact that, yeah, actually we're a feminist gaming group or, you know, we, we care about including women or we actually have policies around things like we don't do spring rape scenes on people with, without like any kind of consent or, or warning, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, you want to find those people and it doesn't mean you're going to, you have to be friends with all of them or that even you're going to get along with all of them. But th that's how I think you start networking and meeting other people who you will be simpatico with, who will have your back in all of these kinds of situations we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you want to run your first, that is, you are 100% right. And there's a great group, Contessa. I don't know uh, if anybody's aware of them, but they um, promote diversity. And if you run a game for them, they have very strict rules of what, you know, they, they aren't going to let anybody hurt you or, you know, if you're playing one of their, they're going to protect you. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. You, you know, they'll be there for you. Okay. Very true. Um, how, ha how would you say that traditional RPGs like D and D and other legacy games reinforce the stereotyping of women. And is that changing? Did I mute myself? Nope. 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 Everybody all Just wants. thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm processing it. I know you guys can't see me. <laughs> it's okay. Imagine that I'm scratching my chin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always want to be the first to jump, but I'll go jump on that one. Jump, Think of the old D&D covers with the women in battle and their chin <laughs> bikinis, which are For so impractical. Yeah, Boris Vallejo. Yes. I mean, Thor's beautiful, but um, I think we're a little bit more than bikini females. Not think, we are. I, I also can only think of the, uh, what is it, wandering sex worker chart. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, well, it, they didn't use the phrase sex worker. Let me just put that out there. But um, <laughs> yes. uh, that existed. That's real. That's not apocryphal. Mm -hmm. Um, I can imagine second edition. What's that second edition? It's second or first. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, okay. It was one of the AD&Ds, whether it first or second, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and like the idea of you have to, you have to acknowledge that D&D &D came from wargaming. 
uh, historical wargaming specifically, which was very much a boys club, and still is, as in my introduction I didn't say that I also really like playing miniatures games, which is rough because I am like one of, a, there's there's like a dozen guys in our group who are, you know, they're my friends, so they're, they're decent people, but I am like the only woman in that whole group, and if I go to any <laughs> events with them, I'm like one of two at a 32 player event, you know? Uh, it's rough. It's real rough. But like, I think that you have to like look at that and think about that as its historical background because like that that mentality of this like violence first sort of play shapes everything after that. Am I am I making sense? You are because okay. that ties in so perfectly with the next question that okay, I have. Cool. And this one I'm just going to leave open on the floor. In RPGs that are rooted in real-life history, like Call of Cthulhu, Pendragon, Night Witches, and even Victorian steampunk settings, or medieval fantasy like Ars Magica, how do you handle sexism and misogyny? I'll jump. I'll bite. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Um... If, okay, so the, all the things you cited are also things that are exp explicitly fantasy, too. Like, there's a magic element, usually, to some degree. Yes. Um, so, if you can conceive of, like, airships powered by magic, then you can conceive that misogyny doesn't exist in a yes. Victorian London. So, that's, okay. that's my take on it. Which is okay. that, like, if you are going to make an ahistorical setting in which, like, it's loosely based in history, or even maybe more based in history, but you're also, like, it's, you know, ancient Egypt, but also with real demons, well, then there are real not, you know, sexism. <laughs> like, yes. If you, can, if, you can, if you can throw in the, the, the parts that make it worth, you know, role-playing through as a, as a fantasy, then you can ignore the parts that, are, that suck in real life. <laughs> That's um, true. But even from a more historical standpoint, if you wanted to cling to that more readily, I think you can also just be like, it doesn't matter for this game. It existed, sure, but we're I engaging with this. We're not, this isn't a time travel device, this is a game. Yes. So to follow up on what you were talking about with, you know, D&D &D coming out of wargaming and stuff, so do you think that the the resistance maybe to have you know female gamers you know able to play is a D and D problem or or more of a D and D issue than it is for maybe uh, you know Burning Wheel or you know maybe some other systems that are more inclusive on the asset because they're coming in at a later time. Hmm. Tentatively, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think 5th edition and the things that the current run of D&D are doing, because we didn't answer the second half of the previous question, which was like, mm. do you think it's changing? And the answer is yes. I think anyway. Um, I feel like I'm sucking all the air out of this conversation. So. <laughs> no, uh, speaking of, it, would anyone else like to add anything to this? Now shut up. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned Night Witches. Since that's an uh, example, it's not um, doesn't have that fantastic element where you can do whatever you want. It's sort of one of these Jason Morningstar games where he's really done a lot of historical research, right? Like Grey Ranks is another example. 
it's like wants to be just as grim and as terrible as the actual experience of child soldiers in Poland during World War II. Um, so those are the kinds of games where you don't, the designer doesn't want it to be a lighthearted, fun, escapist time, right? You want to sort of like plunge people into the horrors of historical reality. But I think that really it's, it's consent that's extremely important there and like understanding the agenda of the group that's playing. And if everyone sort of knows what they're in for, I run into this every single semester that I teach um, Dogs in the Vineyard, actually. It's one of the games that I have students play every year um, in our program. And um, that game, although it does have some more fantastic elements, is very inspired by uh, an Old West Mormon setting where there's a lot of religious intolerance, uh, homophobia, sexism, um, sort of traditional gender roles and things like that. So that's, that's part of what the game is about. So it's, it's very tricky. Like, I think I have a lot of students who I asked to play that game who don't like that aspect of it. And because I'm like assigning it for a class, it's like, okay, you don't have a ton of choice about what game you're going to play, but we're gonna talk about it first and understand like, why would you design with this stuff? And like, what's important here? It's actually what's important is that you take that subject matter on responsibly so that the potential problem is when you have players who are too lighthearted about it or think, oh yeah, this is an excuse for me to act like a really sexist, violent-minded patriarch and like beat up a bunch of women and hang some, some like gay sinners in an old West town uh, and think that this sort of gives them license to act out or sort of be an edgelord in that way. And that's very clearly over several years of, of running that, that particular game where things can go off the rails. On the other hand, there's also a lot of possibility as there is in any role-playing game for, for players to kind of make it their own and like reimagine it or figure out how to resist. But it really, I think it really comes down to how the GM has the reins on that kind of topic. So the use of the word consent and all that in that topic was kind of what I was searching for there. So awesome that you put that into really good words. <laughs> It's so much easier when you're playing your home game because you know who you're, you, you know your friends and you know, you know, you ha I always had that session zero. Hey, we're going to do this. Like we play Shadow of the Demon Lord and it's dark as fuck. And we made certain rules up beforehand that we were not going to touch on these things. Now, as for a con game like that, like I'd always put an 18 plus as we, you know, I'll do, but have a little talk at the beginning of that X card, which is such right. a huge thing at consent. Because the second somebody's uncomfortable with where it's going, you're hitting that card and you as a GM are just, whoop, didn't, didn't happen. We're moving on. As I unmute myself now, <laughs> now uh, Naomi, this one is for you uh, specifically. Uh, for those of us that develop card games, would you say that some of the same issues that we've been speaking about carry over into those card games as well, or or no? And I think you're muted. Yeah. So I I'm hopefully unmuted now. Um, yes. It's interesting because uh, card games are so incredibly varied. There are just uh, so many different kinds out there and subgenres. There are, are people designing and selling card games who just aren't part of any kind of tabletop community, right? Um, so I think it's a little harder to generalize. I think it, it does definitely come in, especially uh, if you're trying to get a card game published. There are some somewhat hidebound traditional assumptions uh, about the 
the card and board game market. Uh, I think it's a little bit more traditional in some ways than the the tabletop role playing market or the video game market, honestly. Uh, in part because of the cost of production and the sort of risks associated, uh, and the the scale that uh, those types of games often have to be sold at in order to turn a profit. So I was um, I was talking about this uh, the other day actually with some some hopeful Kickstarter launchers. Um, that most card and board games that are published commercially tend to fall into two lanes. One is the sort of traditional, like hobbyist genre lane, and that's very similar to the kinds of content that you would see uh, in a tabletop role-playing game. Um, and you know, there's a, a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, and some horror, and some you know, like Arkham Cthulhu stuff, and some steampunk things, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I think a lot of the the, the stereotypes of who's going to buy that game are pretty similar. It's like, oh, our primary target market is, you know, guys, and they're from their 20s to their 40s. Uh, they're hobbyists. They, they really like, like, complex rule systems and stuff like that. And then the other lane is, like, family-friendly party games, right? It's the that's dominated by by Parker Brothers and, and that kind of thing. And there there's some growth in that area and some interesting things happening, but the assumption there is like, oh, okay, it has to be suitable for kids. Uh, and I think one thing that's interesting is that um, I actually have a copy of a game that's relevant to this right here. This is Monarch um, that was put out by Mary Flanagan. And uh, this was, she self-published this and it's like, is selling it on her own now uh, through her lab that makes these games actually as part of some psychological research, but uh, she wasn't able to find a publisher for that game who was willing to uh, keep the content intact because it's about four sisters who are vying to become the queen of a kingdom. And every publisher they talked to told them they had, that had to be changed. I They're bet like, that gets catty. Yeah, it, it can, definitely. And it's like, you know, it's not super heavily gendered content, um, but the idea is there are these four different princesses and you have courts that have different types of nobles and uh, buildings and works that are being built. So it's a little bit of a city building kind of game. But, um, but this narrative that they're tr trying to become the next queen was kind of important to the design team. And every publisher they talked to said, look, we can't sell this to our audience. The uh, you know hobbyist guys don't want a game where you just play female characters, and you know it can, we can't sell it as a family game because you know the boys who are they going to play? They're not willing to play female characters. So in some ways, it's like you can't. You're not even allowed to do that, even though it's you can't even reach really out to the fifty percent of the population. Right. Or I mean, <laughs> think about video games. Right. Like we've had video games with just a female protagonist forever, going back to Lara Croft and Tomb Raider, and then any number of other games since then. Um, and that's that's fine. It's like, oh, okay, you're gonna step into someone else's shoes for a moment, but somehow the the tabletop publishing, that the sort of the larger end of uh, card and board games are don't wanna go there. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, you'd think with uh, the successes of Reseteer, and I'm, for some reason, Reseteer is popping into my head. Uh, that and, um, and, mm, and well, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. 
I'll pop back in at the most inopportune moment. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, here, I, I've got a, a question from uh, Keeper Chad from the Miskatonic University podcast in the chat. Uh, he asked, Danny, uh, do you feel that, uh, here, let me start over. Danny, do you feel you could have used more support from Necronomicon about the incident that you'd mentioned? And should there be a better system in place at the con for, you know, reporting or, or uh, you know, this, these types of, of things? Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't think Necro I mean, Necronomicon, I really sincerely feel no, had no fall in it whatsoever. They had no idea what was happening. Um, you know, it's an incredible con that could happen at any con at any table. And you don't go around to patrol every game because it could be an X card game where the content has pe you know, people have already agreed to that. So for anybody that was monitoring or there could have been, they didn't, you know, they didn't, nobody would know what was going on. Um, I don't, I think that it was because it was such a first time situation for me. I didn't report it. I 100% should have. I didn't even get the shock of it until two or three days later when it like really hit me. And I know that sounds crazy, but I was like, I was speechless to the whole thing. And then every time I went to bed, I was thinking about it and it bothered me more and it disgusted me more. Um, but I'm pretty confident if I went to them and told them that situation, they would deal with it. But I didn't like at Gen Con, you have a number or at different cons, you have a number or somebody you can report somewhere you can go all the time for assistance. And I think that's really important for a con that's running, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning. Anytime there's a game, it's got to be somebody that you can go to and get help. And I just I honestly didn't know what to, it's so weird. It, it's like a deer in headlights. You just didn't know what to, I did not know what to do at that moment. Yeah. And I mean, on the other side of that coin. Uh, I mean, I know that I speak on an adult-oriented panel. We read badly written fan fiction porn with feeling and emotion at a local convention. But we do advertise that it is for adults only and there is explicit adult content contained within. You might be offended, you know, and... Uh, and so this this makes me want to almost revisit that entire thing. Uh, but but that is one of the one of the constraints that we place on on our content that we read is we can't have anything that's not consensual. And again, Naomi, thank you for bringing up the issue of consent so many times uh, in in this discussion. Um, and let's see. And that's, <sighs> not say it's, that's not saying that it's wrong in a game if everybody involved knows about it. Like, take Vampire. Yes. I mean, it gets it gets disgusting. But you don't spring that on people you don't know. And no. you just don't. Not without consent. And Yeah. And when you're at a convention, it, it's hard because you, you're playing with people that you don't know. And there's not you know, the same level of trust. Like, you know, we've played games, you know, you've, you've played in a lot of our games and, and the one call of Cthulhu game, you're like, oh, I want to play a lounge singer. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll be the club owner and maybe we're involved somehow or another. Right. And, but there's, you know, because we know each other, there's a certain amount of trust that's involved that there's not going to be a, a line that that's overdrawn mm -hmm. uh, and, and that we can sort of kind of play around in that area and that we're both open and willing to do that. And, you know, there's not, you know, weird, creepy guy or whatever that, you know, here's a rape scene all of a sudden, like, yeah, you know. detailed too, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and if, like, I was just going to say, if, like, if it was important to the story, right, 
there's no excuse for what happened, but then it's like screen wipe. Like you exactly. hear a screen, but it, like there's a way to do that. Even if it was like, a, a, you know, like sort of a gotcha in the, in the story, but to do it in a way that's rational or <laughs> reasonable. I don't, I don't know. It just seems crazy. Okay. Now we've, we've talked about representation and Again, I'm going to go ahead and lay this out on the floor for either Monica or Naomi. Uh, do you think that some of the onus should be placed on the game industry? Wow, that's an encompassing term. Uh, to reach out to include those who are underrepresented and in what areas do you think we could see more representation? And I think I, we I agree with the face Naomi just made. <laughs> I think that that face was like, yes, every yes. area, every area. Um, I, I honestly don't see the downside, right? Like, I think this is for the game industry in general, but particularly digital games in the last 10 years, it's where a lot of the new innovation and ideas have come from. Stuff that like very big budget, you know, multi-million dollar budget games are are taking ideas that have uh, been bubbling up out of smaller works by women, by queer creators, people doing more experimental stuff. And those people tend to look very different in terms of background and, and class and interests and, and gender and sexuality and, and race. Um, I If I were going to pick one area uh, that I think is really the frontier that needs to be explored more. It's probably uh, black and brown creators. There are, are a very, very small number of black game developers, especially in the digital game industry. Um, I feel like it sometimes it might be a little bit better in tabletop role-playing games, but that might just be because I read an interview with Mike Pondsmith just the other day. <laughs> it, it's not that much better. There, there need to be more black and brown creators of all genders too, as well, uh, in the tabletop industry too, um, and in the uh, I'm only going to speak for the tabletop industry because that's what I work in, and I only work in RPGs. I don't work in board and card games, so I'm going to guess it spreads to there too. But I don't know. Can't speak for it. Don't work. It. Um, but uh, these are the people we need to see in like not just mechanical design, but also like world building and character creation and like people who write the fiction and all that, that should be as diverse as possible because that's the interface at which, you know, your audience, uh, you know, comes into it, comes into the world. Like you want your, you want your lore and your, I hate the word fluff. Uh, I'm going to use the word lore. <laughs> you want that, the setting material, all that to be created by as diverse a population as possible because the people who are reading it are wildly diverse. Um, yes. You know, good, good mechanics are great, uh, but they're not, uh, when it comes to like interfacing with a, a wide audience, they're not nearly as important. She says playing down the thing she really likes writing. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, 
Did I unmute myself? Let's see. Yes, I did. Okay, I did. We should so just real quick. You talk about inclusivity, Monte Cook Games, like they they are incredible about it. So here's Predation by um, Shauna Jermaine, who is, you know, a bisexual writer, uh, very um, open about it and inclusive. And they have a thing right in the very front page about how use they, they use they, a gender neutral program um, pronoun, and that's intentional. And you'll see it throughout their products. And I just think that, you know, the start of them doing that is amazing. That's amazing. Kudos. I'm so happy. Yeah, um, and I know this touches on what we've already spoken about before, but do you think there's as much pushback against women in gaming when it comes to board games, or is it more of an RPG phenomenon? And I think Naomi covered that fairly well. Yeah, a, a little bit. I've, I've been asked this question before. I, I think it's interestingly different. There's uh, a little bit less of a, I guess, like that reactionary core of people who consider themselves true old school fans and resist any suggestion that, hey, games ought to be more inclusive. There ought to be more types of people playing and more types of people creating things. Um, you know, who tossed around terms like SJW. Uh, I have actually run into a little bit less of that in the the board and card game space. There are some people like that. They tend to be a little bit more off at the fringes. And I, I don't know, I think it has something to do with a very different relationship to how people pick up and put down games and who they play with. And, um, a lot of card and board games being a little bit lighter and something that you might play with a wider range of friends. Whereas if you're gonna get into a tabletop campaign, you really need to have like a tighter community who are all committed at the same level of intensity as you are. That's that's true of some board and card games, but it hasn't been as true until recent years with like legacy games and things like that, that you need to have like a really committed play group. So I think the cultural demands are different and people who I, who think of themselves as border card game aficionados, um, I found are more likely to have a little bit wider point of view and think I might need to play with more different types of people. I might need to get my friends or who, who aren't as into games as me or my family members or partners and so forth. Um, to play with me. And so they sort of think about it as being a little bit more of a broader cultural thing. Okay. Do you think there's a, a bit of a time issue too as well? Like board gaming is really blown up and, and also resurgence on RPGs as well. Uh, so do you think it's just like a, like a timing issue in, in that, you know, board game is sort of hitting its peak where, you know, people are, you know, becoming more socially conscious about, you know, uh, representation and, and, and that kind of stuff. So that it, it, it's kind of on a different footing than RPGs, which are, you know, older. That, that's the right term to use. I mean, I guess it's funny. I, I sort of think of them as, as both like having swelled up relatively recently and having had pretty long histories. So if you go to a website like Board Game Geek, it's been around since the dawn of the internet, right? And has a very tight community of, it's it's still, it's mostly guys. They're mostly very, very nerdy. They have endless debates about which games are better. It's extremely systems focused. Um, and 
often thinking about theme as just decoration, right? But um, but still, I think that the attitude and the, the like the openness is a little bit it's a little bit different. That doesn't mean you won't find like trollish reactionaries in communities like that. For sure, you will. And I think it does. It can come up often more in person where, you know, behavior needs to be policed and things like that. And, and, and people lacking in social skills sometimes say things that are extremely rude or inappropriate or offensive. But I, there's a subtle difference in the attitude. What I don't see as much in those communities is this backlash like you see in comics um, where, you know, they're saying like, oh, I can't believe they made a female version of Thor or in Star Wars where the hardcore fans are like, you know, harassing the actress who played Rose Tico off of social media. That that kind of crowd, I think there's actually less of a, a coalesced like black hole, like gravity of like ultra fandom just because there's not really one thing for it to all um, suck people in around, right? Now, before we move further along with with our uh, gathering here today, do you have any projects that you're currently working on that you would like to promote in this space? Naomi, yeah, you're muted. <laughs> I can. I could go first. Uh, I'm trying to think of of exactly how to do this. I guess, um, so although I mentioned Consentical earlier, it's unfortunately no longer for sale because I only did a single print run in order to keep it as affordable as possible. Um, so you can't get a copy, unfortunately, even if you really want one, unless you can find someone to sell one to you. Uh, there are a few stores that might be carrying it. Uh, but I would like to mention that I have just decided what my next project is, which is that I'm gonna I'm going to be finishing a project which was got some press a, a few years ago called Lace Runner, which is a complete retheme of um, Android Netrunner from Fantasy Flight Games. And uh, Android Netrunner has just been discontinued. Uh, they're going to be putting out the last expansion, and then Fantasy Flight Games no longer has the license to continue making it. Uh, after this fall. So the my version is, it's a little bit of a art project slash copyright experiment. It contains none of the, the original copyrighted writing or artwork from the Fantasy Flight Netrunner. It's a re-theme that takes the game and makes it about a 19th century um, social soiree that you're trying to infiltrate as a uh, a class climber Ooh. yeah and so th th there's a little bit about that project out on the internet there's some articles written about it but i'm going to try and release it as a print on demand okay now monica i'm going to shift over to monica what about you do you have anything in the works for us us Many being the people <laughs> The void. Yeah, the what are you going to feed the void? What? <laughs> souls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> souls. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Stop outing me like this. You you can't know that I feed the souls void in this, <laughs> the void souls in my spare time. Um, no, I am currently working on a section of Dark Eras Two for. 
um, world, uh, Chronicles of Darkness, not World of Darkness, they are two different things. Um, I am also currently working on a section of Charms, if you know what those are, for Exalted Third Edition's Lunar's book. Um, I don't, none of those things are currently in Kickstarter. Um, the last project I worked on that had a Kickstarter was um, the Dragonblooded book, where Fire Has Rot, um, and that went immensely successfully and is, is done with, so sadly you cannot continue to contribute to that. Um, and I also worked on something, uh, uh, the uh, Aeon expansion, which was a, a stretch goal for um, Trinity Continuum and Aeon, which is also something I worked on, but that Kickstarter is also over. So um, if you want to support things I'm currently working on, because my freelance projects are, are currently in development, um, please go listen to my show, Bonus Experience. You can um, find us on Twitter at BonusExpCast. Um, our website is BonusExpCast.wordpress.com. Um, and the best part about that is that everything I have worked on for the Onyx Path that is published and is available for purchase is linked to the website. I have a whole list of, like, buy my stuff! Um, <laughs> and we have an affiliate code, so if you go and you buy my stuff, I get money. Um, a very tiny amount of money, but I still get money, and that helps us um, keep server costs down. Uh, so if you would like to support me in my work, please go do that. Please check it out. Um, buy some cool stuff. Uh, I did a ton of entries for um, Exalted 3rd Edition's Hunter Devil's Night Parade. Um, so if you're looking for neat monsters for your Exalted games, um, all the ones I worked on are linked to that page. Um, they're like $2 each for the for the PDF. Real cheap. Um, cool bestiary entries, so check check that out. That's uh, I'm actually in the middle of deadline hell right now, so that's, that's where I am with this. Thank you for giving us some of your precious free time this evening. I really appreciate it, Monica. Um, but You're welcome. It was a break from being hunched over my keyboard. Yes. Now you can be set a little bit further away from the keyboard. Yeah. Now I, I'm going to move on to Danny. What do you have in the pipeline? Oh, what don't I? Um, I guess... Uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Imperial Scum if you want to see what the rotating thing is. M mostly I love running games and playing games. So um, I'll play with John sometimes. He got some great Call of Cthulhu games on Legends of Tabletop there going and other things. Uh, and Sunday nights I stream on the Greyhawk channel. I'm a player, uh, my lesbian elf, and she's hot and I want to beat her. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tuesday nights I'm starting next week with The Dying Kingdom. It's a fifth edition D&D game where I'm running it. And we have a Shadow of the Demon Lord podcast that I'm super proud of. It is dark as fuck, so you have to have a heavy, you know, grit to listen to it. But it's called Tales of Blood and Stone. It's on TobisPod.com. Uh, you know, Tobis as a Tales of Blood and Stone Pod.com, or it's a Twitter out there. Um, I am on the editorial board of Cyphercaster Magazine, so it covers Monte Cook Games. We write adventures for it. Uh, we articles, interviews. Um, we're always looking for long-term contributors. So contact me over that and i think there's other things i'm forgetting but that, that's the current lineup okay you can pop in it, it while i ask this next question from a audience member sean asks and this is to everyone who were your mentors gotta think about that one <laughs> <laughs> While you think about that, I'll jump in with Naomi. Do you have an answer for this? Um, oh gosh, I have so many. It's, um, it's a little tricky to say. I guess um, for the stuff that we've been talking about in today's stream, 
Um, I probably would say one of my mentors is Mary Flanagan, who designed that board game I was holding up earlier, Monarch, uh, really helped me think a lot about um, how to make games with, with interesting, meaningful messages. And um, yeah, she's like one of the first designers of autobiographical games ever too. And, um, and then uh, my other mentor, probably in the, in the tabletop space, a really strong influence on me is Avery Alder, uh, the designer of Monster Hearts. Okay. Now, are women-only events interesting to you? I'm not quite sure what that refers to. I mean, uh, <laughs> like conventions oh, or yeah, you know. conventions or I mean, an an event much like this evening where where I, um, we've got a we've got a bunch of women all together. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I obviously have lots of male friends. We're, we're gamers. We have those, but like, yeah, I, I really thoroughly enjoy and am all about women only events um they tend to prefer it if it's like women plus so like gender non-conforming people gender queer people non-binary people that sort of thing no dudes <laughs> yeah i think they're definitely valuable they're they're really good spaces for people who might not otherwise show up into gaming communities at all yeah. And so that's the number one reason they're close to my heart. And for me personally, I'm like, yeah, that's totally great. I'd love to go to an event like that once in a while. It, it might not be my mainstay. Um, I think that's sort of true for a lot of us who've been around for a long time. It's like we have pretty thick skin. We um, like can move through all sorts of spaces, but it's really nice to drop into a women-only space for like a change of pace and atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And that's such a good point. It is such a safe spot if you you talked about new getting new into the system, and that is definitely a plus for that. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, da, da, da. there's a third point to this question. What thing could what one thing one thing could men do to improve the experience of gaming and game creation? Oh, I've got this one. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> be quiet let somebody else talk for a sec that's my <laughs> and i'll say the exact opposite but also not a contradiction at all which is have uh have women's backs when they ex experience these kinds of things like when other people are taking credit for their ideas when um only the male creator of a game is being addressed or referenced in an interview or talked about like like he's he's the creator when he actually has a female co-creator actually say something when though that shit happens and then yes. otherwise That's otherwise like monica said you can shut up uh except to do those things yeah yes yes exactly <laughs> exactly what she said shut up except if you're gonna have somebody's back yeah. oh, listen man. listen to us and what we're really saying and um listen to what people are saying to us so you can be aware of things that aren't always right. Yeah. Now we're gonna we're gonna jump on over to Adam. Viewer Adam asks, uh, I I think we've talked about this before. Has Contessa helped women in gaming? And if so, in what ways? And if not, why? 
I've never had any problem with Contessa. I have run games for them. I have seen people come to those games that, um, you know, it's their first con and it's their first experience. And uh, it, it makes people feel comfortable running games there. I've talked to a lot of the GMs there. And I honestly have not seen a single downside to it, um, what, it what it represents, which is diversity in gaming. And they have a women's gaming only night where the only GMs you're going to have are women. Um, you know that going into it. Uh, so anybody at your table shouldn't be you know, hesitant because you're a woman. So you, you feel confident running. They have, you know, um, a gay gay night where, you know, it's not the straight gender. You can run a game as long as, you know, you're not straight. So I run in that. And, you know, everybody there is so welcoming. I can't see a downside to Contessa. Okay. Now, what more can supporters of Contessa do to help it grow? Run games, spread the word, go to their okay. games, fill their tables. All right. I should have worn my Contessa shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Now uh, let's let's go with Monica here. Now, favorite games. Would you prefer video game or tabletop? Uh, let's do tabletop. I play a lot more of those. Yes. Not to say that I don't have favorite video games, but I play a lot more. Okay. okay. So my favorite tabletop game. Oh boy. Um, Okay, so I have to go with, I have to give two answers, um, because I always have like sort of a long term like thing I think is really good from a design perspective, but I also have a game I have a crush on right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, uh, so, um, game I think is great in a long term designs perspective is um, Apocalypse World and it's you know, children, <laughs> Dungeon World, all the many Powered by the Apocalypse games, I think that that PBTA system is just the best. That I have to hail that as one of my favorite things. And if you listen to my show, we talk about how great it is all the time. Um, hey. As for game I currently have a crush on, I have to give that one to Through the Breach, which is the game I'm actually currently running for my local group, um, which is the proprietary RPG associated with the miniatures game Malfo, which is probably saved the the miniatures game I'm super into. Um, cool, goth, horror, Victorian, weird west setting all at the same time. Um, and for a product almost exclusively written by men, does a really good job with its female characters, like lots of female leads in canon. Um, more or less ignores the sexism of the period. Cool, high-flying, magic, gunslinging, fantasy type setting. Like, okay. like I, I was described to someone as like Deadlands, but not from the 90s. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my entry. Okay. And Na Naomi? Ooh, tabletop games. It's so tough. Um, there's so many that I like. I think I have to go with a weird answer. Like my all-time favorite game is an old game called Falling, which is a real-time card game that is out of print now. Uh, but it's it's still one of the most uh, fun games I've ever played. It's from Cheap Ass Games, uh, James Ernst's company, and um, yeah. And then uh, with role playing games, I have to say, well, I really love Dog Eat Dog by Liam Leewong Burke, but I would like to give a shout out to Exalted. <laughs> ah! <laughs> you thought of the second edition, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh, I wait, I wait, I have, I have exalted. 
I have the first edition too. Oh man. Oh. I I loved Exalted, but I can't in good conscience call it one of my favorite well-designed games. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. But it, it has Exalted a fun... taught me what not to do as a designer. Yeah, it has, I have a fondness in my heart for the the convolutedness of the design. It's like a crusty porcupine that crawled out of the ocean. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that's beautiful. Now, not not to leave any of our YouTube viewers uh, out, uh, there's a question here from Badger. Where is the industry falling short of being more inclusive towards women, and are there examples of where it's succeeding that people can look to help inclusivity? Um, I'll just go for art design alone. Look towards Monte Cook Games. Uh, they represent all genders, all diversity, all backgrounds, obese, slim, uh, male, female, transsexual, all, you know, dark, light. Uh, it's amazing the the differences you get in all the pictures in the book. It's not the same old fantasy art. Okay. Now, uh, Monica, would you have anything to add to that? Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty good. I think art direction is moving in the right place. I think on the whole, we are slowly moving in the right direction. Um, yes. As far as examples of places where like women are being highlighted and stuff um i actually think you know the company i work for the onyx path is actually doing a really good job of hiring women hiring queer women hiring women of color to um to work on their products uh, <clears throat> uh for a while there the hundred devils night parade was exclusively developed and written by women um, unfortunately, some people had to drop the project, so now we have huh. we have guys on it now. But uh, <laughs> but that was mostly a scheduling thing. But for a while, there it was just three women who were writing the whole thing. Um, they have women who are developers, who are the people who are in charge of, of putting the book together. They're they're an editor, both in the sense of like a proofreader and also an editor in like an academic sense, where they're the the cat herder who has to get all these freelancers in line. Um, I've, I'm uh, currently one of the projects I'm working on is being developed by uh, another Monica, another woman. Um, I, one of the things in the past, another woman developer, um, lots of women doing active work for them. Um, and I would hope that other publishing companies are doing the same, but I can only speak for the one I work for, so. Okay, now on to Naomi. Uh, it's such a tough, big question when we're talking about the industry in general. Oh, gosh, uh, I yes. think, yeah, I think, you know, like Monica was saying, things are slowly getting better. Uh, I think that even the big mainstream video game industry has gotten slightly better at representing women as characters in games. Uh, and that actually this year at E3, which just happened, I was surprised to see a lot of companies touting how they have very diverse and inclusive uh, staff and people making games, which is something mm -hmm. that they haven't done up until recently. Uh, and so, and that side of inclusion is really important too. So I'd say, you know, it's good to reward even these large behemoth companies for, for making steps in the right direction. So I think it's, it's good to support that even if those games are far from perfect, even if those women have very small creative voices. But what I usually say is at the same time, the, the place where 
individual female creators have the strongest voice uh, is actually in very small scale games. And that's most, you know, like independently published tabletop card and board games. These days, uh, it's it's very much a, a like a solo designer endeavor. And so when you see a woman's name on on a work or when you hear about uh, a female designer or a developer or someone making an independent game or a team with with a woman on it, like say the, the team's making games at Campo Santo or at um, at Fulbright, uh, some you know indie game developers with like uh, half a dozen people on a game. Um, I would say, yeah, like try to support those games as well because that's where women are actually have a very significant creative role, not just like part of a you know staff of hundreds and hundreds of people. Though it's probably led by some um, you know typical looking white dude. <laughs> okay, now uh, Chad loves the exalted blurb, and it was a wonderful blurb for the box, like a crusty porcupine that crawled out of the ocean. So. Yes, your, your words have already been greatly appreciated <laughs> here. Uh, we also have a question from Brett Kramer. Ask the entire panel, what would you suggest individuals do to foster inclusivity in gaming? And what's an optimal approach for allies? I mean, I guess if you're a uh, uh, publisher, uh, you know, go out of your way to hire diverse people. Uh, if you are already on staff, recommend them. That's, that's what I got. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say try and think a little bit outside the box of what your current editorial purview is. Because a lot of publishers, and this is true across books and games and magazines, all sorts of things, they think of like, okay, well, this is the kind of thing that we publish and this is what we're looking for. And that uh, in and of itself is going to restrict the type of creators that you work with, right? And it's going to, that's part of what means that you, your next round of creators are going to look similar to your last round of creators because these things are tied together. Um, so I would always say like, look at the edges of that box, like what's just beyond the border and like who's making that, that kind of product. And is it worth stretching a little bit, doing something slightly different, like a game where you would normally say, oh, I'm not sure if that's the kind of thing that we would do. Well, actually maybe think about doing it. Think about like what's, like could you take some additional risks, stretch a little further in that direction, it could be actually a competitive advantage. Very, very true, very true. Um, now moving, moving a little bit, let's, let's move a little bit backward. Star Wars, Star Trek, or for those of you that like neither one of the previous selections, Dune, as I said, we're moving back. No answer from anybody? Did, we did, have to pick one? Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite and why? Oh, Star Swan. Wars. Okay. I like the villains. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to also have to go with Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. And why? why? Uh, I really like a good space opera. And Star Wars is very space opera. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
That's 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 a genre thing for me. Like, yes. I like I like it when like a spaceship has lasers and they go pew pew in space. Like that's not <laughs> yeah. realistic at all. That's great. <laughs> like have the explosions make noise in space. That's fine. Oh, oh yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Naomi, what would you have to add to this? Which Wait, one this is your your favorite? Is this Star, Wars, Star Trek Dune? Oh, I I'm afraid I have to go with Dune and be the 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 weirdo um, snobster, I guess, is the, <laughs> the answer is Dune. I read the Dune Encyclopedia when I was a kid, which is just a like an outrageously ridiculous book, uh, but mm. it made me fall in love with that forever. Uh, even though I'm I'm not really sure about some of the more recent, slightly less canonical entries in the series. <laughs> yes. I I I left the series after Children of Dune, so. Yeah, but gosh, god emperors and you know, oh yes, becoming a giant sandworm and having you know, genetic breeding nuns and uh, another like gender shifting weird uh, biotech aliens. Like uh, yeah, it's it's got it all, and it's, yes. it's super weird, super weird. Oh man, back to Danny. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, to never have a hangover um, because they suck. Oh man! Uh, no, but um, really, I, I think it would be all the Gatorade before. I think it would be to be able to take people's like sad emotions away from them, like to be able to make people feel better, even if it was just temporary. Okay. And Monica, what about you? Hmm. My first boring answer is always like super strength is cool, um, but I, I'll give that answer a lot. So I'm going to give a different answer this time. I think I would be cool to have the superpower to like control time, go forward or backward in time, or to like, like freeze action, which I know is not how freeze of time should work. But bear with me. I also am a fan of lasers and make noise in space. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Like to stop time or to like speed things up or like slow things down so you can do lots of stuff in, in an instant and that sort of thing. Or to get more hours out of your day so you can meet yes. your deadlines. <laughs> That's true. And Naomi, uh, which superpower for you? Oh man, all superpowers have terrible drawbacks. That's just the narrative logic of uh, mm -hmm. the way it works, right? So yes. I think I have to go with the, the go, get really meta and say the, uh, the superpower to turn other people's superpowers on and off. Oh, so I could like you know. <laughs> so you know you don't have a superpower. I can like activate your X gene or whatever. Who <laughs> watches the Watchmen? <laughs> Marvel or DC? Um, Which one's your favorite? I have to go with with Marvel. I've uh, I've been doing a reading project for the last five years, and I've I've read about ten thousand Marvel comics in chronological order, oh, um, and I decided that it was worth it because I sort of took a close look at both of them and like noted the differences. And I think that the Marvel style of of storytelling and engaging with political issues is a little bit more interesting. Yes, I, I'm forced to agree. Now, uh, Monica, Marvel or DC? Uh, I'm not a comic book person. 
but if I have to pick, well, obviously I, I, I like dumb action movies. So I'm a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but I also kind of really like a lot of the concepts in Green Lantern. So movies, Marvel, comics, DC. Okay. So that's going to have to be the answer I go with because I don't, superhero comics are not a thing I, I follow. Okay, that understood, understood. Danny, what would you have to add to this question? Um, Just- so I also am not a comic girl, but I've seen the movies. So movie-wise, I enjoy the Marvel ones better, except watching my five-year-old watch Wonder Woman and want to like to emulate like the strong woman. That to me, I would almost say DC just for that alone. I'm going to get teary-eyed thinking about it because she loves it and she embraces it. I'm like, that's what we want. Like, you know, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, oh. I am getting teary eyed. Look, but it's awesome to see a little girl like be raised yeah. you know, to have that passion. Like, you know, you keep that girl. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, uh, moving on, Danny. Now, what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? Like, yes, this is this is me. I will do this. To run games for people that have never played before i would that would be like my dream job because i'm not always good at explaining the rules but i'm pretty good at realizing what people want to play like this this person's gonna love a hack and slash or they want this kind of thing and i would love to get people into something like that that they want and i think it's so therapeutic and so good for so many things you know that would be my dream job i'd be like goodbye although i do love my job now so i'm lucky okay now monica Again, what what would you have to add to this? Now, Hmm. what job, if you were offered it, would make you drop everything? Uh, If I could somehow do the, like, writer-designer thing full-time with the caveat that, like, I don't have to work, that I can work like a regular schedule and not have to work, like, 80 hours a week uh, and then also not be able to pay my bills, which is sadly the reality of of doing this full-time as a freelancer. Like, if I could just, if they could just be my job, all the time, I would take it in a heartbeat with the caveat that, like, I am making ends meet <laughs> and, and thriving, yes. you know. I, I, I'm forced to agree. Now, Naomi, uh, what job, uh, if you were offered it, would make you walk away from your <laughs> office? Nothing, nothing can make me leave this office because I already love my job too much. I have oh, so many. So- I have so many students here who are working on really interesting projects. I would never abandon them. <laughs> um, I yeah, because I I care about them too much uh, in a sort of maternal way. But um, but I will say, uh, here's what I would walk away to: the same job, but then someone drops a huge grant on me in order to to make a game. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. That is great. Now. I'm shifting to music. What's the first music album you ever bought with your own money? The Backstreet Boys self-titled album. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I was a, I was a middle schooler. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. Danny. Danny, what about you? Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy. Woo! Mm. <laughs> Naomi, what about you? For Naomi, me, it was it, it was George Michael's Faith. Oh, man, that was one of my first sheet music playing songs. 
Oh, man, that showed my age just a little bit. <laughs> now, what album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? I got a couple of these. <laughs> Music is my jam. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but probably one of my favorite albums of all time, listen through the whole thing, no skipping a track, is Arrows and Anchors by the indie band Fair Midland. Okay. Everyone else is like, sure, that's a band I've never heard of. Yep. <laughs> True. That's something I will have to check out, though. I I would type. Can you type the name in the like, chat? Yeah, I sure can. Highly yeah. recommend if you are a fan of uh, indie rock. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Danny. I am trying to get the name of the album up because I actually can't pronounce it, but it's a Demu Berger album. It's a black uh, black metal album, and I love every song on it. It's just I haven't actually seen the CD cover in like 10 plus years because it just stays in my car. Um, yeah. Miss, I can't even think of the name of it, and I somehow can't get a Google search up on my computer. So, <laughs> Well, <laughs> you think that, oh, God, the album can't be that good if she doesn't know the name. It's just. I no, no. No, I, I, I totally understand. I had, uh, oh, I had, I think it was Electric Wizard in my head last night, just this chorus over and over and over, and it was to Dunnage um, over and over again. And let's see, Naomi? Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's funny. I, I don't, I haven't listened to full albums for a long time, but, and so the ones that I still do listen to tend to be ones that I listened to in like the nineties and two thousands. Probably, uh, probably it's the, for me, it's the first magnetic fields album um, from, from Stephen Merritt. Uh, that's called the, um, uh, what is it? Oh, actually, you know what? It's not the first one. It's the third one, The Charm of the Highway Strip, which is like a road music themed album from the Magnetic Fields. Uh, it's it's a really well put together album, and I've probably listened to that one 200 times okay. or more. Now, Monica, what's the most gracious response to the rejections or setbacks you've faced regarding creative work and then having it rejected what, what's the most gracious rejection you've received the grace most gracious rejection that i've received or that i've how i responded to being rejected <laughs> i think i think the responded to being rejected um because i you know I, yeah it being getting rejected really fucking sucks a lot. it does you put a lot it, it hurts really bad but the most gracious way you can accept rejection, even if someone is being rude. Um, I can't say I've ever really been rejected in a rude way. That's not true. I have no um, But even if you've been rejected in a rude way, like thank the person genuinely. Like thank you for your time. Thank you for your consideration. Um, I always throw out there like, hey, if there's you got anything else going on, hit me up if you want to. But I obviously use more professional language than that. But like. Mm -hmm. um, I always try to thank them uh, and, you know, thank them for the opportunity, thank them for their time and just move on. Okay. Now, uh, moving on to Danny, same question. What is the most gracious response you have given to the rejections that you have faced? Um, 
other than like running to the bathroom afterwards and probably getting teary eyed legit. Uh, it, thank you. It's been a learning process. Um, as in I've, uh, had, uh, I'm not like you, I, I don't do the publishing and stuff. But I'm going to think of it as my worst gaming experience, the worst game I've ever run. Um, and I was so upset about it and I had somebody talk to me about it after that was so nice. And, you know, um, I learned from it. So I guess that was it. Yeah. Um, and again, the same question, Naomi, what, uh, what is the most gracious response that you've offered to rejections that you have faced? Um, I would say usually for me, it's asking for feedback and then saying, thank you. That was really useful feedback. Because for me, uh, practically all feedback is useful somehow, even if it points out to you like, oh, that's exactly the kind of person that I should not be working with or shouldn't be making a game for, right? Like it's actually anti-design feedback. Um, say like if someone strongly rejects your game, sometimes it helps you figure out like, oh, that's actually positive for my game because you're the opposite of the, the kind of person that I want, that I'm making this game for, yeah. Okay. Oh man. Now, how did you make your first dollar? <laughs> Ancient history here. How did, how did you make your first dollar? Mowing lawns is probably my guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. Monica? I mean, literally the first time I ever made money. Oh, like, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, either, I mean, I had an allowance as a kid, but I assume you mean outside of that. No, that uh, doesn't count. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that would count. Yeah. Uh, babysitting? I did a okay. lot of I babysat kids as a, as a far too young middle schooler. <laughs> okay, move on, on to Danny. I honestly don't know. I know what my first job was, but I don't remember anything before that. Um, okay. So I would say working in the restaurant industry at a young age. Okay. There's money there. That is much more glamorous <laughs> than, uh, than my answer, which would be I was a laundress at an asylum. Um, let's see. Ooh, wow. Oh, it was weird. Um, let's see. You have the power to create one perfect movie or TV adaptation of a video game story. Which game do you pick? Perfect. Final Fantasy VII. Okay. And Monica? Uh, Borderlands. Okay. I'm gonna go Hi. with, I'm gonna go with Oi Koshpiel by David Kanega. You can look it up. It's okay. a, I, I will have to look that up. It's a dog opera. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> oh, man. Kind of like Isle of Dogs. Are you talking dog opera? Way more surreal than Isle of Dogs. Oh, okay. I love that movie, by the way. It's so cute. Um, ba, ba, ba. Let's go meta. And then, and this is this is all I've got for the rest of the evening. It'll just it'll just be totally freeform after this. Which question do you wish I would have asked you throughout this entire spectacle? I wish you would have asked. Danny, tell us why it's important to adopt animals instead of buying them, because I think everybody should know why we should oh, adopt yes. animals. <laughs> yes. Tell us to... why. Tell us why. All right. Because there are so many animals that need homes, strays in the pound, and so many of them get euthanized, and it's just so sad. 
And if you go to Pet Finder, you see the same faces on month after month. Um, and I just feel like giving an animal like that a second chance is an amazing thing to do. And it is beyond rewarding. I have four adopted cats. I love them. Aww. Not crazy cat lady territory yet. Not quite. <laughs> but four is my limit. Four is my limit. Okay. Now, Monica, which question do you wish I would have asked you, but I never got around to it? Oh, man. Totally open-ended question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we sort of brushed up against it, but you could ask me about my feelings about any previous edition of Exalted, uh, or <laughs> of which they are many and varied. Uh, uh, or you could ask me about my thoughts on creating the perfect playlist for running the game. Uh, or you could have asked me about um, my weird ass taste in music, <laughs> keying off of the perfect playlist. But I'm, I'm, I'm very much all about having a specific tailored playlist for each campaign with like NPC themes scattered in there. And I have a section that's all about music for combat. And like, I have an intro and the intro, I have like an intro song that I've picked for that campaign. And it plays the beginning whenever I'm doing the like, so guys, remember what we were doing last time? Uh, and then I even have an ending theme for like, when we're wrapping up, it, it, it plays at the end. <laughs> Look, I have even been known to make a final boss suite for replace the previous playlist and like oh the players are going into the final conflict of the game here's an all-new playlist that's all about the finale <laughs> okay and I have strong feelings about using music and get with with your gaming experience which is something you can really only do if you're playing with like a group face-to-face -face at like somebody's house but hey mm -hmm. i, I about agree it. with that yeah, oh, that is man. awesome. You you should really write and publish these playlists and your thoughts about them because I'm such an advocate of this for lots of types of board and card games too. They just they all need soundtracks. Awesome. I can try to see if I can unless I have public um, because I actually um, in the modern era um, I use YouTube and then I um, mm -hmm. yeah. to my friend's smart TV and play it like in the living room off the TV. Um, oh. So I, I should be able to be able to, to share, um, I'll go through and make them public. Uh, I can share all of my playlists for the games I'm currently involved in. Cool. Um, and uh, there is on our list of topics, uh, bonus experience will eventually be talking about how much I really love using thematic music. So look forward to that in the future. Okay. Um, Naomi, which question do you wish I would have gotten around to asking you and I never did? Oh, gosh. Um, probably just a question that would have released some of the, the thoughts that are constantly going around in my head. Like the thing that I can't stop thinking about right now is uh, the answer to the question, um, when did mer people start living in atlantis fictionally speaking <laughs> because yeah they're, they're those those two ideas never went together until about the middle of last century and then suddenly they got joined together and there i think there's like a really interesting <laughs> tracing of that that i've been trying to do research about that i could go on and on about like uh uncle scrooge comic books and like well, Mer people showing up at Atlantis and like all of these different threads that ultimately lead to like the Little Mermaid and like Aquaman and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I'm nerding out about right now. So, 
Okay. So. <laughs> um, now, I, I know that, that I have exhausted. Here, we're at a point where I have exhausted all of the questions that I have prepared for everyone present today. So um, is, there, is there anything that any of you would love to talk about? And Monica, I see your playlist for Through the Breach. Yeah. Okay. Scroll up and there's also my playlist for Start of That Number. Oh, look at that. Do you ever have your players contribute to the playlist? Be so like if we're playing. Things. Yeah, actually. One of the really cool things you can do by streaming YouTube through like a TV is that anybody else who gets on the network who has the YouTube app can jump in, join the session and add songs to the playlist. Oh, awesome. Yep. I curate it and I build the framework for it and then I, I often invite people to uh, add stuff to it. And obviously if people, I have friends who would be like, oh, I've put yakety sax in here eight times. Obviously, like, I would take those out, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally there for people contributing. That, that reminds me of, uh, you know, they have that app for the jukeboxes when you go to different uh, drinking holes throughout the city of wherever you may live. Um, and there is an app for that. And uh, you can you can buy credit for the place that you're currently at. And oftentimes we will play Ronnie James Dio over and over and over again until it is forcibly reset by a staff member. So, I have a funny story about that. So I bartend in at my bar. We have one of those. And one of my friends knows I absolutely fucking hate Pink Floyd. So at 12 o'clock at night, Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd. And they are in the building. So no. like, send text like, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. I apologize for participating in an activity that, that you just Oh, I think it's hysterical. <laughs> it's hysterical. They can do it from home. That's brilliant. Yes. My goodness. But yeah, yeah, we do the same thing. I do a fifth edition D&D on Sundays. So I understand completely about the YouTube playlist and it's a wonderful thing. And I highly recommend it to those that haven't yet. I and threw out links to the three playlists for the three big major games that I'm currently I'm running through the breach and I'm playing a Blaze in the Dark Blaze in the Dark game and Stars of the Number game and I've got all those playlists up there and you are totally free to share those in like show notes or whatnot. Okay. And with our audience, if they want to check out the things I think are thematic for playing those games. Oh, um, I can't wait to hear the Blades in the Dark one. Uh, the Blades in the Dark one, I leaned into the idea of like a haunted place. And so, uh, and but also like the a haunted industrial place. So it's not, I didn't lean into the Victorian elements of Blades in the Dark. I leaned into the creepy industrial elements of Blades in the Dark. So that's what you can expect from, from that playlist. I also really try hard to avoid tracks with lyrics because if I'm jamming, I will sing along and get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that is fun, but no good. Well, I'm... I was just gonna say thank you so much, Monica. These are great. Yes. Yes, they are. And unfortunately, as I as I stated before, uh, we have reached the end of 
my anything that that I had prepared for us to discuss this evening. And John, do you have anything that you would like to add before we close out? Uh, I mean, I you know, I guess we could probably sum this up best. I mean, whether or not you like Will Whedon, I, I think his golden rule of don't be a dick pretty much like applies across the board, right? I mean. We're all coming together in a community to play games together and, and have a good time and socialize and whatever. And whether someone's, you know, black, brown, purple, yellow, gay, whatever, it, it, I, I don't see how it matters. Uh, you know, just get together and have a good time and play games. Like, I, it's just, it, it seems like it's like it's such a stupid thing. Like, why would you even have to say that to someone? Like, hey, don't be a dick, but. This is where we find ourselves sometimes as, as good as the community is. And I think we have a wonderful community that, you know, that we're a part of and, and, and larger that, you know, everyone sort of participates in here, but still you get those, you know, outliers that, that forced us to be like, Hey, we should have a women in gaming month because like maybe someone needs a reminder that everybody plays games and like everybody wants to participate. So don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. A good rule to live by. Yes. Absolutely. And and with that, I'm going to bid all of our watchers and listeners a fair adieu and have a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Good night. Bye everybody. John, John, Thanks everybody. To click the button. I know I'm gonna click the button, but before <laughs> I click the button, I'm gonna tell everybody to buy coffee. Thanks oh, for yeah. coffee in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, everyone gather the flock and migrate on down to Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. (laughs) There's links for for everybody's uh, stuff, uh, shows, Twitter handles, and all that stuff in the show notes, so please check that out. Uh, I'm copying playlists over, so if you play any of those games, uh, we'll have the playlist posted in the show notes as well. Thanks for checking this out. Uh, if you enjoy it, uh, likes and subscribes. If you leave reviews, that's fantastic. It helps helps the, the podcast get noticed. Uh, and uh, that Don't would be great Don't forget to buy our coffee. coffee it's coffee available. Again. It's available on our website, legendsoftabletop.com. We have our special brew, Legends Coffee, available on our site. If you click on the Legends Coffee button, the banner will take you to a page where you can directly purchase this wonderful, wonderful brew. It's legendary. Oh, it's legendary. <laughs> uh, it's 10% off if you use code LEGENDS10, and shipping is always free. So yes. check it out. Like that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks to all of our guests for participating. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to the guys over at the Miskatonic University podcast. Uh, Keeper Chad was instrumental in uh, sort of kickstarting tonight's show for us, uh, doing some of the legwork and, you know, just bringing this up as a topic of conversation. Uh, so thanks to him. Uh, the guys over there at the at the MU podcast are a great bunch of guys. Uh, they're super supportive of Legends, and I'm happy to call those guys friends. So thanks to those guys, and uh If you're catching this on our feed and you haven't listened to them before, please go check them out. Uh, If you're listening to this on the MU feed, come on over and check us out. We'd be glad to have you. And we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.